0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be on should you adopt a child with cleft lip or cleft palate. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, you can subscribe to our show at either iTunes or iTunes or on the radio page of our website which is creatingafamily.org/radio show. I'm Dawn Davenport, I'm the director of Creating a Family, we're the National Infertility and Adoption Education and Support Organization providing unbiased information before, during and after adoption or fertility fertility treatment to help create strong families. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Show Creating a Family Show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring has a Heart Plus Pharmacy Savings Card, which helps patients, both cash-paying and insured patients, save money on their fertility medications. To get more information on the Heart Plus Pharmacy Savings Card, you can talk with your doctor, or you can visit the Faring website at faringfertility.com heart. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our sponsors, including our goal sponsors who believe in our mission of providing support and unbiased information. Uh, and and truly, if you are appreciative of our show uh, and you want to help us, or, or not just our show, but all of our resources at Creating a Family, the, the website, the videos, the extensive social uh, uh, networking, the support groups, If they have been helpful for you and you want to help us, consider supporting those who support us, including these gold sponsors. Nightlight Christian Adoption, they have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. They provide international, domestic, foster, and embryo donation services. We have Bethany Christian Services. They are a global nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering children and families. They're committed to quality social services along the whole child welfare continuum, including pregnancy counseling, family preservation, all the way up to foster care and adoption. We have independent adoption centers. Their mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families, and they work with families in all 50 states. So as I mentioned to, uh, well let me also say we also have a lot of other great sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. So if you are considering uh, any type of adoption service provider or infertility service provider, clinic, uh, a uh, infertility uh, clinic, an adoption agency, an adoption attorney, please make your first stop the service provider page of our site. And you can find that on the blue horizontal menu across the top. As I said, today's show is going to be on should you adopt a child with cleft lip or cleft palate. Cleft impairment is one of the most common special needs in international, ado- international adoption, and of course it's also present in domestic infant adoption. Parents need information about what is involved in parenting a child with cleft lip cleft palate in order to decide if this is a good option for their family. Our guests today are Dr. Andrea Smith. She is a dentist specializing in dental and facial prosthetics, in fact, She is one of only 350 maxillofacial prosthodontists worldwide. She is also the clinical director at the Lancaster Cliff Palate Clinic in of course, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We also have Dr. Thomas Sampson. He is a pediatric plastic surgeon at the Penn State Hershey Medical Center. He is also co-director of the Penn State Hershey Craniofacial Clinic and the Penn State Hershey Vascular Anomalies Clinic. We have Abby Ellis. She has a master's in speech and language pathology, and she is the feeding specialist at the Lancaster Clef Palate Clinic. And, of course, no show on cleft impairment would be complete without a speech therapist, so we're pleased to have with us Maureen Rostowski. She has her master's in speech pathology, and she specializes in working with children with cleft lip and palate, again at the Lancaster Cleft Palate Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Smith, Dr. Sampson, Abby Ellis, and Maureen Rostowski to Creating a Family.
2: Thank Thank you. Thank you.
3: Well, as this is a large panel, I am really uh, uh excited about the panel. We uh we as you know have a large uh audience of families considering uh this special need, and we get a lot of questions uh, on pe- from people trying to figure out really what all is involved. So I'm going to start with you, Dr. Sampson, and I'm going to start fairly basic because I think we can, it always helps to start with the basics, doesn't it? Um what exactly is cleft lip and, and cleft palate. I mean, we know, we've all seen pictures, you know, of I guess it's what smile organization or whatever. You know, we see them of, of children and, and many of us have family or friends who've had a child with cleft lip. So we see the outside, you know, the cleft in the, the the split in the lip. Uh, but it's more involved than that usually. So so exactly what is it?
4: Well, thanks, Don. Um you you kind of hit the nail on the head. We we have all of these images that are that are put out in the media and in our own families where we can see uh, people who have had clefts. Clefts come in all shapes and sizes. Um, They involve the lip. They can also involve the roof of the mouth uh, as well as the gum line. And any combination of these exists and you can have as little as a incomplete or a partial cleft just of the lip or a partial cleft just of the roof of the mouth, which you otherwise wouldn't even know existed, Um, without listening to the child. So it comes in every presentation you can imagine. And uh, just as a kind of a basic uh, background of of how these develop, um, the cleft itself develops somewhere around the 6th to 12th week um, in utero. So pretty early on in the pregnancy within that first trimester is when these will develop. It it,
3: it, it happens when the face, obviously, is forming, right?
4: Correct. That's exactly Right. right. And so, typically, this is something, especially with the better ultrasounds that are being used prenatally, we we can get a lot of information on those, and oftentimes get the diagnosis. Um, in the adoptive situation, um, one of the questions we hear a lot about at the Lancaster Clinic is, uh, what was the cause of this? What what, what did the birth yeah. mother do to to make this happen to her baby? Um, is there a problem? Is there a genetic issue? And the, the answer to that is, in most instances, there is no genetic issue at play. In fact, the vast majority of clefts are, in fact, sporadic uh, problems that occur for reasons that we're not sure of. Um, while we understand the, the mechanism of what's happening, we don't know what triggers it in many instances. Um, so there are a lot of people looking into that. Uh, Well,
3: let me stop you you a second because I have a question on that. Sure. We know with other um, birth defects, we know that, that one of the things we look at is what else was forming at the time that birth defect happened because there is some concern that if something went awry in the pregnancy at that stage, and you just said the six to twelve weeks, that it might affect more than just the thing that is we're, we're current we're, we're looking at, uh, and is that a concern uh, in the situation where it, with a, chi- uh, a child with cleft lip or cleft palate?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, the children who uh, come to term with a, a cleft typically present with that as the only issue, the only problem, the only uh, functional uh, uh, limitation uh, when they're born. And that is because the majority of these are sporadic. There are a few, uh, there is a small number we'll say that do have a syndromic component. So they have other things involved. And um, that that obviously carries a, a whole other, that could be a whole other discussion for us. Um, but the ones that, that, as you had mentioned, at the six to twelve week, if there are other major uh, developmental problems occurring, those are the those are the, uh, the the babies that don't typically come to term and and actually end up having uh, a spontaneous uh, abortion or whatnot uh, because of such drastic major core problems. And so we usually don't see those kiddos come to term. Um, the ones, especially in the adoptive setting. Uh, and we see a fair number of this at the Lancaster Clinic, these are, are kids that have isolated clefts. In other words, just the lip or the palate are involved, and most typically there are not other syndromes associated with. Um, and as okay. a result, that also kind of leads to the next uh, part, which is to say um, these are extremely treatable, um, and with a team uh, like we're lucky enough to be a part of at Lancaster Clinic, we can provide all those resources and and get these children a normal mainstream uh, childhood and ultimately life.
3: Well, that, how how is the? Uh, we all know that obviously surgery is involved. Is it? And, and uh, I realize that it, as I ask this question, that the answer most likely depends on the severity of the cleft uh, and the degree of involvement. But how many surgeries are involved?
4: That's good, yeah. Uh, typically, there are about four surgeries that we can expect, and they start uh, as early as three months of age and go to the late teens. So uh, typically, if we're seeing a newborn patient, we will do the lip repair only at three months of age uh, with the understanding that they've you know gained weight and they're healthy enough. And then at about a year of age, then we'll repair the palate or the roof of the mouth as a separate surgery. Then the third surgery would be the gum line, where the, where the teeth are coming out, where we need to put some bone in where it's just obviously missing, and we take bone from the hip and put it in that location. And then the fourth and final kind of customary uh, surgery we do is a final nose uh, reconstruction that occurs once the, the child has reached skeletal maturity, which is typically in the mid to late teens and we'll do a final rhinoplasty at that time, and that basically uh, finishes off uh, all of the surgeries that we would do.
3: Is it always fully correctable? I mean, with, if, if, is it possible to have a uh, a really bad cleft that you're not able to repair?
4: So that's a good question. There are severities within it. Uh, when there are those that are a bit more severe, we can do things like staging a portion of it, Um, But I must tell you, in most instances, because we have such good prosthodontists and we've got such good orthodontists uh, and the other components of the team are so good at what they do, they set the stage and make it possible for me with surgery to kind of finish off my side. So it underscores the importance of having a really, really solid team providing care for these kiddos.
3: Well, that raises the issue of the word that has been causing me such consternation at the beginning of this show. I had never heard of the word prosthodontist or po- prosthodontics either yes. one. So I want you, I, I want credit in the fact that I have been practicing that word, and, and just then I not only got it correct with the IST, but I got it correct with the ICS. So yes, this is I'm rocking it over here. All right, so uh, Dr. Smith, uh, since I, I uh, never knew that there was such a thing as a maxillofacial prosthodontist, so I, I, but I am duly impressed that you're only one of 350 in the world. But that begs the question of what is prosthodontics?
1: Um, well, I will also give you credit. I don't, um, I don't think my family even understands fully what I do. So, um, <laughs> well, I don't understand. I can just say the word. <laughs> Uh, a prosthodontist is a dentist that has more training in complex intraoral restorations of teeth, um, things like that. A maxillofacial prosthodontist has had uh, another residency in order to be able to apply those techniques to facial and palatal structures. So, if a patient, um, you know, has a cleft and is missing part of their palate, then I can make a prosthetic that they can wear to close that off so they can function. Um, this also applies, you know, uh, to cancer patients if they have had parts of their mouth or face removed. So that is the maxillofacial prosthetics part of part of prosthodontics. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of a pros- subspecialty. No,
3: okay. And are these prosthetics? Um, this is probably a very obvious question, but since, but I don't know the answer. But are these prosthetics external or internal?
1: Uh, so we make both, depending on the needs. Um, so for someone um, who has an unrepaired cleft palate, and that would be someone who um, is now in their 70s. So um, before the days that we had such good surgeons as Dr. Sampson, um, you know, we had to make prosthetics to close off these openings. And so it's almost like a partial denture that extends up into the nasal area in order to close things off. Um, um, we also make extra oral. So outside the mouth, uh, prosthetics as people need. Um, so not necessarily with a cleft lip and palate patient, but we also do those things as maxillofacial prosthetists.
3: Well, I mean, but is the uh, is the prosthetic you make embedded, uh, something that you take out and in, or is it something that yes. Dr. Sampson puts in when he is doing surgery?
1: No, it is something that's removable.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Um, and uh, and then. We know that with or I would assume that with the majority of and maybe well maybe you know what they say about it assume one should not do that mm-hmm. uh it uh but uh I would assume i should say that uh that it's going to involve missing teeth or, or teeth in the wrong place is that the typical thing you see um as a as a dentist who's working with uh people with cleft uh impairment
1: yes um so You know, when the cleft occurs, uh, if you can imagine kind of a line going down where the teeth would be, um, usually right in the area of the cleft you'll see teeth of unusual shape and size. Um, Sometimes there's duplication of teeth. Sometimes a tooth is missing in that area. And that can happen in both the baby teeth and the adult teeth. And so whatever... You know, whatever configuration that child has, um, the most important thing is that they find a dentist to take care of those teeth until we're ready to do something with them. And when I say do something, I mean move them around into um, the proper configuration with orthodontics. Um, So the teeth themselves, most of them, are just like anyone else's teeth. Some are just in strange places, and some might look a little bit different, um, but otherwise... Um, you know they have dental care just like anyone else, and we just need to make sure that they're getting that care and that they find a dentist that's comfortable treating them.
3: Well, Dr. Sanson, let me ask a question to you then. it is part of your job when you're doing the surgery to realign where the teeth are, so that they're more naturally, so that the orthodontics that will be coming are, are easier? Or is that, or do you simply just repair the the cleft itself?
4: Well, I would love to take credit for doing all that tooth rearranging and such, but I'm not that good. Um, I must say, with with the help of uh, Andrea and Rusty Long, who's our orthodontist at the clinic here, um, we work in concert. And so the parents actually are quite surprised in that oftentimes they'll ask me, well, when are we going to do surgery? And I'll say, I don't know. I need to talk with Andrea and Rusty and, and see when the timing is right. So a lot of it depends on uh, doing X-rays and seeing where these teeth are are going to probably come out, and then orthodontically where uh, Dr. Smith and Dr. Long want to uh, position these teeth will dictate when I need to go in and do uh, certain repairs. Uh, but by and large, I don't I don't rearrange the the teeth per se. Um, I'm taking care of more of the uh, kind of uh, larger uh, baseline issues like the the space that's that's just open uh, between the, the mouth and the nose and the roof of the mouth that needs to be closed, and we can't really move forward from a speech standpoint, from an, uh, a dental standpoint until that gets closed off. Uh, not to mention feeding and having uh, you know liquids and foods coming out of the nose. So that that part of things, uh, once I take care of that at a year of age, then really I turn over the care to Dr. Smith and Dr. Long to to start doing the dental application of things and braces and so on, and uh ultimately, if I'm needed we can we can do a kind of teamwork approach uh as they get older
3: um, Dr. Smith, when does the orthodontics begin? I mean do we have um, to wait till the adult teeth are coming in um yeah. or do we uh, you know are are the issues significant enough with the baby teeth that that we have to do something then?
1: So usually the orthodontist will um, just monitor things in the baby teeth. There really hasn't uh, been any uh, need to do any kind of orthodontics in baby teeth. And uh, they might come in a little bit crooked, looking a little strange, and maybe hard to clean. Um, but otherwise, you know, baby teeth, we just kind of let them be where they are. Um, when teeth start erupting, and when adult teeth start erupting, um, then maybe around age 7 to 9, Um, Then we're thinking about just kind of aligning the front teeth where the cleft is in order for Dr. Sampson to get a bone graft in there. And that kind of unites the two sides of the cleft. Um, So that's called a phase one of orthodontics. So a smaller phase than you might traditionally think of to line things up and uh, prepare things for phase two. Um, A lot of cleft children also need an expander to widen the upper arch of their teeth, and that can uh, can only be done when they're younger. Um, the second phase comes in then at the traditional time, usually early teens, um, which aligns all the teeth and kind of finishes things off. Is it, uh,
3: when there, um, is it often that there are missing teeth, or do the te- are the teeth usually there, just in the wrong place?
1: Well, um, I will say it's pretty common to be missing a tooth. Um, what's more common is to have kind of a small, diminutive tooth that may not be usable. So it's kind of a remnant of a tooth um, in that area uh, that doesn't really have a root on it and can't be used. Um, it comes, you know, they come in all shapes and sizes, from no tooth to two teeth to um, a normal-sized tooth, just in a strange position. Um, you know, every, every child is different, and so... Um, you know, we kind of take it as it comes. Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. So that's the the, the typical. Okay. Um,
1: and and I will say I, I do kind of want to say you know for my introduction it sounds like I make these um, big appliances for for clefts um, all the time and really my role as a maxillofacial prosthodontist in the current modern care of cleft children. Um, those prosthetics are, are not really needed anymore. My role is to make sure they're getting good, regular dental care. And at the end, uh, it's just kind of the icing on the cake, replacing a missing tooth if that's needed, or just kind of making um, you know the teeth all look the same after braces. So... Um, you know, if families are thinking of adopting, I don't want them to hear my intro and think, "Oh my goodness, all these prosthetics!" Because that's very rare that we do on okay. kids anymore. Very rare. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, when you we don't
3: even think of this as a prosthetic, but you might just be putting a composite over uh, right. if there is if, if it's possible if there's enough of a tooth, but just a misshapen tooth, which yeah. is, which happens all the time, or putting in a um, we don't call them false teeth anymore. What do you call the one where you putting in a, a like an a tooth? implant? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. which again happens fairly regularly and that's not you're right, it does right. sound kind of prosthetics we think of as um like <laughs> yeah, well get <yeah>, that get <laughs> yeah, that
2: um, but certainly bigger than, but
3: yeah. than than putting on composites <laughs> over a you know an ugly tooth. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, well, let me – just in, in in rounding out, going back to our uh, – uh, before we talk about other things that are more uh, um, um, multidisciplinary, going back to our list of specialists, uh, let's talk uh, – uh, Abby, I wanted to talk with you some about Abby Ellis. She's the feeding specialist. Um I think a lot of people who have never thought of, of, about parenting a child with cleft lip, cleft palate, don't realize that there are feeding issues involved. But what are the feeding issues?
0: Correct. Um, well, for babies that we see right away, um, usually what we do at the cleft palate clinic is we are seeing um, moms who, whose babies have been identified as having either a cleft lip and uh, um, a cleft palate, but mainly the lip is what you see during an ultrasound. So we are meeting with these families at about 20, anywhere from 20 to 34 weeks, and um, reviewing because their first concern, a mother's first instinct, is to be able to feed their baby. And when they find out that they're having a baby or even adopting a baby that has a cleft palate especially, they're so worried because they don't know how they can feed this baby. Um, usually, uh, typically, women will want to breastfeed their baby. With a baby having a cleft palate um, and sometimes a cleft lip, it is difficult to breastfeed. It is not impossible, but it is difficult because they you, you can't maintain a good seal in order to draw the milk from the breast. So um, what we introduce is um, non-nutritive breastfeeding, which will then help them to be able to pump. Uh, and, and we have two specialized bottles that allow the baby to drink from a bottle, um, but they do not have to suck on the bottle. All they have to do is compress the nipple between the two intact parts of their gum. And that is a huge lifesaver for these mothers who, um, if they're born at a hospital that does not carry these specialized bottles, uh, we've seen these mothers given um, regular bottles, and it takes these babies over an hour to feed and just one feeding. And then if this mother is concerned with breastfeeding um, or, or pumping, rather, sorry, pumping, you know, that takes about 20 minutes to do. So sometimes these mothers feel like all they do is is, is just feed, just constantly mm-hmm. feeding. Yeah. So yeah. Um, to introduce these specialized bottles is such, such a time saver. And it helps these mothers to, you know, bond with their babies because they're, They're able to feed them in under 15 minutes.
3: What do you mean by non-nutritive breastfeeding?
0: Well, the baby is able appears to be able to latch onto the breast, but they can't hold that latch enough to draw out enough of the milk that will sustain them nutritionally. So even just to be able to hold that baby to the breast, um, even just for that, um, even if it is a weak latch. Or a non, you know, uh, um, a weak seal. It, at least it's stimulating that breast milk, so that they're able I mean, to, to pump.
3: One of the things that, that we have at Creating a Family, we have some of them, well, probably the most uh, complete resources on uh, adoptive breastfeeding, or uh, also used with uh, mothers uh, whose child is born through surrogacy. And uh, usually, not always, but usually, women are uh, moms must use a supplemental feeding system um, in order to do that. Is a supplemental feeding system something that would be possible for a child, a cleft lip child? Which they they uh, just for our audience, the supplemental feeding system. There is a small little tube that runs right. alongside the breast through the nipple, and so when the baby latches on, um, it is being sucked through. The, uh, from a bottle or a, a bag that usually you just sling over your shoulder or whatever. Um, right. Is that a possibility for uh, uh, moms who might want to try to breastfeed? It
0: is a possibility. I will say as a mom who did have to use that, um, it, it's, it's great for when you're at home, but I think, too, when you're, you're, you're out and about, as most moms are these days, um, it's not always the easiest. Mm-hmm. Uh not always the most mobile, I should say. Um mm-hmm. method of feeding, but at home I think um during that time that that's a great way, but I think uh you'd still the baby would still have to have a good um latch on that nipple even to close down enough so that that tube is is coming in and and it stays in. With a bottle, I mean it kind of fills in their mouth. It's not placed in the cleft site but they're able to get a better seal around that bottle. Mm-hmm. And and just by compressing, they're able to control that flow
3: mm-hmm. a little bit better. And the better. key is to making sure the kids get the nutrition they need. That's, absolutely, course,
0: absolutely. Our top because as priority. as Tom, Dr. Sampson had said, three months is the age at which they do the lip repair. So we're trying to get our babies to 10 pounds by three months. Mm-hmm. And so in that beginning, that feeding is a little... A, a little difficult just it's an adjustment. Mhm. So we're really... and everybody's got
3: to everybody's got to learn how to do it the baby Absolutely. and the
0: mom. Absolutely. And I go to we're the hospital it. that first that first or second day after the baby's born and we um get that baby established on one of the nipples either the special needs feeder by Medela or the pigeon bottle and um so that when they go home the mo- mother and father both feel very confident about feeding the baby.
3: So our then, uh, audience is mostly adoptive parents, and 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 for this show, I think it will be people who likely are, are in the consideration of of trying to figure out uh, if they should say either yes to a referral or should they even check off the box that says they're open to cleft lip cleft palate. Correct. So one of the issues that adoptive parents face that uh, that um, people who are either giving birth to a child with cleft lip. Cleft palate here in the U.S. don't face, or somebody adopting a baby uh, domestically that uh, a newborn uh, birth mother relinquishment, uh, and they find out that the baby has cleft lip. But for international parents, these children are usually um, well. It's very unusual to get a child under the age of one now. Uh, most Great. of them are uh, 18 months. Many have had at least the lip part repaired, but not all. Uh, right. But. So we've got feeding issues that have been yeah. ongoing. What are you seeing as far as uh, when, because you're probably seeing more kids than, than that have been adopted with this condition than Absolutely. than the most doctors. So what are you seeing as far as how are children being fed in orphanages um, around the world? And and if you can divide by country, do uh, that would be fine. And you may not be able to. You may not see enough to be able to say
0: right. I would say the majority of our babies being adopted are from China. So mm-hmm. um, I could definitely speak to that. Um, and it's funny because we do, do a offer a pre-adoption consult. Once a family is considering um, adopting a child with a cleft lip and palate, they come to us to get more information so that they can make an informed decision. And in speaking with our family, so I will give them advice on, you know, what I think – would be appropriate for them to do before going over to China and what to take. But in speaking with our families after they've come back, coming coming home from China and have been through the process, it's amazing the information that they shared with me, and I would love to share with um, the listeners. One of the things I used to say is to um, you know have a special bottle to bring over there. But in fact, these children who are probably – between 13 months and 24 months old, they are already established. Even if they don't have these special bottles, they have learned how to use them. These children are very adaptive, and they they have learned how to use these bottles. They have learned how to feed in situations where they might be feeding many children at one time. Um, a lot of these children are used to um, uh, eating congee, which is sort of like a cream of wheat consistency. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are being fed with they're like a shorter scoop almost, and um, that is how children pretty much in the southern I think China, um, in the western China, those children are used to eating noodles, more noodles. This family had said their child by the time they were two was able to use chopsticks, whereas in the other one that eats more of a cream of wheat consistency, you know that's usually given to them very hot and um, and very quickly. So they're used to more of those foods. Um, And do you see
3: much, uh, I have seen children being fed without a bottle, but even very young children in orphanages being fed um, with a cup uh, as a way of just kind of pouring the the formula in. Have you seen that as well?
0: You do, absolutely, absolutely, because they just can't get enough from the bottle. So they're using whatever means they can. For
3: for kids who have not sucked, in other words, on either a you know a breast or uh, from an adoption standpoint, it almost always is going to be um, uh, on a bottle. What are the ramifications for kids? Is sucking simply a, a means of getting food into uh, a baby's belly, or is the sucking do other things for a child?
0: Well, um, it is one of those first. Uh, things that a child is going to learn but then same with our babies who are born here and and from the beginning who are not really sucking they still adapt um sometimes children might need um speech therapy to uh, uh, help them learn how to suck from a straw afterwards but mm-hmm. i have to say i don't see that very often i mean these kids just learn they just they yeah. just know
3: yeah it's at some skill point you know they
0: pick up very quickly
3: right self preservation So if you're feeding a child Mm -hmm. through a bottle or, or as you point out, um, oftentimes they've moved up into either the porridge or the noodles, Um, if you have an open space where in the palate, the roof of the mouth, where does the food go? How do you make certain that the food goes down into the stomach and not someplace else? And what are the ramifications if it doesn't, if it goes someplace else?
0: well there are there are several, and this is one thing I did want to really touch on. Um, when you're watching a little baby eat it's it's still cute they don't have teeth that might be misshapen or in different places. When you are um, watching a child who's already had teeth coming in and you know they've they've gone on to eat bigger quantities and different textures and consistencies most of the time if they do have a cleft palate it is going to be coming out their nose if it is unrepaired so they're you know watching a child eat and things are you know peas are coming out their nose and um, the porridge is coming out their nose it, it doesn't hurt them but it is it is something that um, parents need to consider when uh, choosing to adopt a child from China I mean it it's going to be messy but they just need their palate repaired it's something you have to prepare yourself for it. Might be um, a bit of a shock at first to see them, and I would recommend that parents who are planning on adopting from other countries, you can request to maybe have videos sent of your child eating, so it <laughs> so that you can prepare yourself, so it's not just such a shock. But um, I mean, look what these kids go through to to learn how to eat, and they and they still do, and they still gain, um, and they just. They just need a home and a place that that they can have the services
4: needed provided for them so so Don, this is this is Tom Sampson. I just wanted to interject something as far as one of the parts of your questions was what what happens? Is there anything potentially bad that might happen if some of that food gets up, maybe into the nose or what not um and we get asked that question a lot, and the answer to that is there's absolutely no harm whatsoever, so they can eat whatever moms and dads want to put on the table. And while it might be messy, the fact that they have peas or, um, I don't know, hamburger, pizza, chocolate milk, you name it, coming out, the body has a way to deal with this in that the nose will produce enough mucus that it will actually clear itself out. And there's never a risk, uh, essentially, of any food get kind of uh, impacted up in the nose and causing an infection or an abscess. We just don't ever see that. So that's one of the things that we can... Uh, let the parents know not to worry about. Um, although it's messy, as Abby says, it's essentially just a mess. And once we get the palate repaired, it's done. All of the food goes straight down the throat like it does in everyone else, and it's a non-issue.
3: Yeah, so it's a temporary, as we say, would say, it's a temporary problem.
4: Absolutely.
3: Um, a temporary mess. Um, <laughs> Dr. Sampson, with, uh, so we've got a child who, let's say, is 24 months who has a Unrepaired let's say the child at this point has an unrepaired uh lip as well as palate, although as I said, most countries now we see more and more countries are repairing the lip before the child comes yep. um, but but um, let's say that there is neither a there's not a repaired lip or palate. Do you then still have to go is the first step to do the surgery for the lip? and then wait for the palate or do you do then a combined surgery of lip and palate if you're talking about a 2 year old
4: yeah that's a great question and that is that is actually the uh the majority of our presentations of the kiddos from uh foreign countries and even if they have had a lip repair sometimes the lip repairs are just not very good not very yeah. not very yeah. aesthetically pleasing and so uh it's not uncommon for us basically to start over and I'll take the child back. Um, you know, as soon as we, we have them into the clinic, we'll talk about things. We'll try to get them back as soon as we can. And if we're going to repair that lip initially or to revi- revise it, that would be surgery one. I'll usually wait a month or two, uh, go back and do the palate right away, because that's very important for them uh, as they're assimilating into the new culture and the new language to be able to mimic their parents with speech they need that palate repair to be able to make those the sounds and to follow along uh, and to kind of learn to speak as they need to. So we try to fast track it once they're uh, older, and typically they do absolutely wonderfully with that. So there's really uh, they don't have any issues with the anesthesia, they don't have any issues recovering, and uh, these children, as I think everyone else in the panel would agree. Are absolutely amazing and how fast they assimilate uh, from a cultural standpoint, family standpoint, eating everything. It is um, it never ceases to amaze any of us when we see them come mm-hmm. through the doors. So true. Um, they're very they're very special yeah. kids.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are listening to Creating a Family today. We're talking about deciding whether to adopt a child with cleft lip cleft palate. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks. And we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect with us at Creating a Family. On Facebook, there are three ways to connect to us. One, you can connect to me personally, which is Dawn.davenport1. You can also we also have a Facebook page and you can we have a Facebook support group. So the best way to find the page in the support group is just to type in the words creating a family in the Facebook search box and you can like the page and join the group. It is a closed group, so anything you post is just shown to other members of that group. Uh but we are a friendly uh a friendly gang and we would love to. we will let you join our our group. Um so i we need now to talk about uh some of the speech issues. Um it's interesting uh you know what do we uh h- how do we make sounds and we again you don't often think about it. But many of the sounds we make require that you have a firm surface at the top of your mouth, uh, which most of us do. So, uh, Maureen, Rod- oh, I was going to mess up your name, Rostowski. <laughs> and, and I was so good. Remember, I was great at the beginning. It's I a great credit. name
2: for a speech therapist, though, isn't it? Yes. If you can say it, you don't need me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was
3: going to say, that's terrible. Yeah, that was a, yeah. no, that's almost downright cruel.
2: I have to call
3: you Miss M or something. Um, so what are some of the issues? I would assume if you just have a cleft lip that's been repaired at uh, at three months, there probably aren't significant speech issues. But if you have a cleft palate um, that, well, since we're talking about adoption, uh, let's say the cleft has not been repaired uh, until, uh, you know, the child comes over. And, and usually I should mention we don't necessarily recommend surgery immediately when the child arrives, uh, this This child's, this toddler's world is being turned totally upside down, and I think there's something to be said for a little bit of just settling in and and bonding and attaching and getting to know each other, and you know finding out from the child's standpoint what is comforting, and uh, so that that the parents are better able to go through the surgery. So let's say at this point the child is two and a half or or a little over two uh, before they're getting their palate repaired. What are the speech issues associated with that?
2: Well, first of all, um, the, the most important thing is that the child is exposed to speech and language, that they hear lots and lots of words. And I always say to the parents, they're too young to actually worry about how nicely they're making the sounds, but we want them to attempt to make the sounds, And I'll tell speech therapists, because most of the kids we see aren't from this area, so I don't necessarily always provide the speech therapy, is to work on placement and worry about placement. Make sure they're using their lips, they're using their tongue, and making the sounds in the right way. And if there is air coming through their nose and it doesn't sound right, that doesn't matter, because after the surgery, everything should fall into place.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: So um,
2: speech therapy can start as early as 18 months through early intervention, and this is a free program that most of the states provide. And uh, to the age of three, a lot of times the speech therapists go into the family's home, so it makes it a little bit easier. And what they do is basically teach the parents or coach the parents how to stimulate speech and language. Because a lot of times the kids are coming from an orphanage where they're not getting a lot of stimulation. They're laying in the cribs, and they're not hearing lots of language directed to them. Uh, The other thing is a cleft palate is kind of a double whammy for speech and language development in that very often fluid in the middle ear is present with cleft palate, more often than not. This affects their conductive hearing. So it's not a sensory neural hearing loss that means that they need hearing aids, but it means that sounds are muffled to them because there's fluid in the middle ear and the sound isn't able to be brought to the inner ear clearly or or in a smooth line. A lot of the foreign adoptions, when the information comes to the families, there's not a lot of attention paid. Paid to this middle ear issue. The the connection between the middle ear uh, function and the soft palate function is not necessarily made in the foreign countries, and they come thinking that, oh, the middle ears are fine, and lo and behold, they're not. So for these 18 months, the child was not hearing clearly. So between having a soft palate that's not repaired and having the middle ear uh, dysfunction, speech is hard for them to develop, and so they need lots of stimulation. But like Dr. Sampson and Abby were saying, these kids tend to learn very quickly. And so within a few months, we're like amazed at how much they're able to understand. And that's the first part of speech and language development, is the understanding or the receptive language. That usually comes in all children before the expressive language. So uh, sometimes they're here for two weeks and already know, mommy, daddy, up, more, cookie. It, it's, it's really amazing. And the cue, the, the most important cue I'll give the parents is talk, talk, talk. The more speech they hear, the more speech they're going to develop. With the cleft palate, uh, often when they have their lip done, tubes will be put in the middle ear. No, I was just going to ask that about what
3: parents need to be aware, and I think most pediatricians I would hope are aware that that one of the first things they need to do is pay attention to ear issues uh, right. and I was and and that my question was going to be um, are tubes the usual thing that is currently being used to um, um, alleviate the fluid
2: absolutely uh many more kids have tubes than do not. But in the general population, lots and lots of kids have tubes, you know. So the Mm class population is not all that unusual with that. But the earlier it's taken care of, the better. So um, uh, we like to see uh, if the uh, the first surgery that they get, if there is indication that there is middle ear dysfunction, the tubes go in. And often the day tubes go in, the kids are hearing so much better that you start to see very quickly an improvement in their uh e- expressive speech.
3: Yeah, um, that would make sense. Okay, uh, the
2: other thing, how
3: long let me ask a question now. We we uh how long would parents need to anticipate that their child would remain in speech therapy? Uh let's again let's use the more typical adoption scenario where a child uh, did not have a repaired cleft palate was adopted between the ages of uh, 18 months and, and three years, uh, and started in speech therapy relatively quickly thereafter. Um, how how long uh, is speech therapy? Is it a short term thing, or, or should parents plan that they will be their child will you know be going to the speech therapist once a week until they're out of elementary school, or somewhere in between?
2: That's a very individual answer. It depends on the child. It depends on how much the family practices and stimulates the child. Um, Typically, the kids need therapy, I would say, for at least two, three years. Um, And it's all different levels. You start out teaching the sounds, teaching the words teaching vocabulary, you're bringing in language skills as well, and and then you work to the carryover part where the child is using the corrected sounds in a sentence in his everyday word usage. And that takes time. And I always say to the parents, don't expect that the child's (laughs) going to use his newly developed sound when he's talking to you about what he wants to have for snack. That doesn't happen quickly. You have to be patient. But seeing a speech therapist is not what's going to make the difference in the child's speech quality. It's that 24-7 family interaction, family practice, where the mommy, the daddy, the grandparents, the, the siblings, everybody is going, oh, oh, you're doing it your old way, do it your new way. Oh, I didn't hear a sound at the beginning of the word. What should that be? Mm-hmm. You know. Right. And yeah. with speech therapy, it's really important, if possible, if the mommy or the caregiver can be in the room with the child and the therapist. So they see firsthand what is being done in therapy, how the therapist shifts gears if something isn't working. Um, and if there's a question that comes up, the the mommy or the caregiver can ask it immediately rather than when, when uh, the therapist comes out and the mommy starts talking and forgets what that question was.
3: So in essence, the parent mom or dad or caregiver, really becomes the speech therapist.
2: Absolutely. In an ideal world? In an ideal world, we give very detailed information to the parents. We send home materials. We send home pictures. We send home objects. We send home uh, things put on the computer. And I say to the mother, I don't care if it's ten minutes, but twice a day, I want you to practice uh, we usually recommend at the very beginning that they get a big Tupperware box. Um, put in objects that start with P's, B's, and M's. These are the most visual sounds, so the child gets the most visual information, and so they're easily uh, imitated. Now, the the P and the B might be hard to make with a cleft palate to get a true pure sound without having air loss. But we don't care about that. We want him to start learning to put his lips together and making these sounds. Mm -hmm. So with the Tupperware box, you know, you put in a monkey and a baby doll and a puppy. We never call a dog a dog. It's a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, we just go from there. And I have tons of stuff. And the therapist that they use should be giving them lots of materials or suggestions what materials to buy to reinforce all
3: this? I had a daughter in speech therapy. Actually, I had three kids in speech therapy. Uh, three of my four kids were in speech therapy, but uh, my um, my eldest daughter was in particular struggling with peas, and uh, so everything was purple there for a while. We did everything in purple <laughs> that's so that we right, could say that's purple.
2: It, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly uh, yes, right. Even,
3: even to this day, I dislike the color purple. <laughs> um, uh, Andrea, let me ask you a question. Now, now the... The, the Lancaster Cleft Palate Clinic uh, is a one-stop shop. People can go there and, and 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 be seen and 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 have, you know, all the specialists right there, and all of them trained specifically in the issues associated with cleft lip and cleft palate. But for the average adopted parent who is not fortunate enough to live near, and there are other cleft uh, clinics throughout the United States, but not a lot of them. And so let's say there's a, a parent in anywhere, you know, put on collar uh, the U.S. or whatever. Uh, what, what options, what do they need to think, of, think about? Would their pediatrician uh, be able to uh, help them? Would their dentist be able to help them? Will, would the, the, the speech therapist in the school system be able to help them?
1: Uh, it's hard to say because it varies so much. I would I would hope that their pediatrician would be able to help them. And um, most of the major hospitals, university hospitals, will have a cleft palate team. Um, Lancaster is actually the only one not embedded within a hospital, um, physically, even though um, we're associated with Penn State Hershey. Um, another thing they can do is there's an American Cleft Palate Craniofacial association, and on that they also have a directory of all the accredited cleft teams, which means that they've submitted things um, and follow certain guidelines and standards as to who is a part of the team, what are their qualifications, uh, just to make sure that it's up to the, the standards that you know, as a as a group of of people treating cleft children, that we've agreed that this is this is what you need to successfully treat um, you know patients with cleft. Uh, unfortunately, Let me ask, wait, there's wait, a Say, the, say the
3: name again. I'm going to make sure we put uh, it in the blog tomorrow. American, American Crest Craniofacial
1: Cleft Palate Craniofacial Association, ACPA dash
3: uh, yes. Okay, oh, no. I will include a link to that in the blog tomorrow. Okay, so yeah. it, would it be fair to say then that even if you're living outside of a major city, chances mm-hmm. are good a, that, that in the larger city in your state, it, in, associated with one of the teaching hospitals, there would probably be specialists that you could drive to on an uh, 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 infrequent basis to, yes. to be seen and to do the surgeries.
1: Yes, and um you know we have patients that come several hours to see us, and you know we'll see kids from the time they're born uh until you know late teens either every year or every six months just to make sure that we're on track and things are going well um, and unfortunately, some of the smaller local hospitals um you know they have people who do things for cleft care, um, you know, some surgeons do some cleft surgeries, but the importance of team care, um, you can probably hear everything is interrelated um, and we need to rely on each other to say, okay, when is the right time to do this? What's going to produce the best results? You know, we sit around um, every day after after we see the, the kids and, and all talk together. So that is so important um, in treating in treating these kids. So I really encourage, you know, adoptive parents to find the local um, or not so local place that has an accredited team team. Um and even before adoption, contact them. They I'm sure they have information that they can they can have as well.
3: Well and then here's the sixty four million dollar question, I suppose. Uh so often uh, things come to money and one of the things that we hear from parents who are considering a child with any special need, but a, a cleft lip, cleft palate. Um and, and my question is a general one and that is how much of this is covered by insurance and, of course, there's uh, as many answers to that as there are insurance policies. Um, and, and it might be that under Obamacare things will be different. So, But but generally, can you talk? And I think probably the best person to direct this question, Andrea, is to you. Although, uh, Tom, if you've got some thoughts on the insurance issues, or any of you have thoughts on the insurance issues, because it's a huge issue for families to consider. They've got to make certain that this is that that treatment is going to be covered by their insurance. So, uh, let's start generally. And how often uh, do most policies cover? And do they cover everything? And Andrea, I'm going to start with you.
1: Um, in general, I would say the coverage issue is um, is different state to state, um, and it's one of the things that we really struggle with in all cleft centers struggle with because um if we do um anything through an insurance um you know yes they will pay for surgeries they will pay for um orthodontics usually speech therapy um but at what rate um and as uh, you know in Pennsylvania here any child with a facial birth defect is eligible for medical assistance. And so, um, you know, patients uh, and their families don't have to worry about surgical costs so much. Um, like I said, orthodontic costs, we've kind of struggled to get more um, uh, coverage from the medical assistance. But the, the problem is that some of the treatments that we do for cleft children um, it's a little bit more than if they didn't have a cleft. And so they don't always um, take the time to understand that this is something that is medically necessary and it is not something that is aesthetic. Um, And so sometimes, you know, parents just need to pick up the phone and and call and make sure that their insurance companies know that as well. Um, But in general, I would say most of the the care that we provide is covered under medical assistance. To what degree is another question. you How know, much and, and are families
3: parents, generally going to be do, – do they need to be prepared to be having to pay for some of this out-of-pocket?
1: That is another $64,000 question because <laughs> um, I, I, will, I will also say that um, uh, some of these programs that are set up by insurance companies, um, you know, are often high-volume. Um, and so that I would say that if the parents have the means, they should be prepared to potentially, you know, pay for a pediatric dentist, that kind of visit, pay for private speech therapy. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, a dental implant is never covered by insurance for anyone, cleft or not. Um, so something that I would call incidentals or bonuses, you know that are that are wonderful wonderful to provide for your child. I would say that if if they can, yes, they should. And we have a lot of families uh that don't have the means and we still are able to provide them with with really good care as well.
3: Any thoughts on uh how Obamacare may change any of this? Is uh is is this going to then be uh starting to be is it's now going to be covered in full or do you have any ideas it too early to tell? And, again, I'll direct this to you, Andrea. uh,
1: For me, I think it's too early to tell. Maybe Tom has some different ideas. Um,
4: But for the kind of specialty
1: care that we provide, we'll see.
4: I would definitely agree with Andrea on all of the points, especially the last one. With Obamacare, there's still uh, too much up in the air at this point. I think Pennsylvania is a unique situation with uh, the coverage that, that these little guys do get. Um and I would say also that most cleft centers are in the same boat and realize one of the big uh callings we have is to find a way to financially help the families out that are in the situation. So um there's a lot of we'll say donating of time um by all of us um and and sacrifices that we're all making in order to care for these kids because we love what we do. And I think
3: do, do any of the Shriners centers have a uh, address uh, a treat uh, cleft lip cleft palate?
4: I do not think that the Shriners uh, has that as a mission. Andrea, you might interject there, but I don't believe that they do. I I, I don't think so either.
3: Okay, I just I wondered about that because that's one of the things that I know that with families who are looking at like a child with club feet um that often Shriners are, is a, is an option there. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah. Given that we're running, we're coming to the end of our time, so I do want to make sure that I address this issue. We've talked about uh, children being adopted, you know, between the toddler age, one and a half to three, that type of age. And that is the more typical coming out, of, especially uh, in the past, out of China as well as other countries as well. But there are... A lot of there's a movement in international adoption for a number of reasons towards placing older children. There are fewer toddlers and, and very young children available. And so what we are seeing is families who are, are being presented with the option of adopting an older child that has, again, oftentimes a repaired cleft lip, but an unrepaired cleft palate. These kids may be eight. These kids may be six. I know of a family who adopted, a, I think, an a almost 14-year-old. Dr. Sampson, is there anything that's, of what we've said, What, how would any of that change if the child was significantly older, in the, you know, upwards of six or even into their uh, early teen years?
4: Sure. No, I, I think there's, there's no red flags that I would have here from a surgical standpoint because the surgeries can be done on, you know, uh, several-month-old to several-year-olds just the same, and we can expect to get... Uh, pretty darn good results on both sides of that. I think Maureen would have more of a say from a speech standpoint because that would be probably more of an impediment uh, long-term, but I would refer okay. to her on that.
3: All right, Maureen, we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk then about speech next, next and then, um, <laughs> then the rest of you get ready, Andrea and Abby, because I'm coming to you. So, Maureen, let's talk about speech. We've got a child who's well into their speech habits that has had an unrepaired palate for uh, quite a few years. What speech, uh, long-term speech ramifications might that have?
2: The the biggest problem is habit. They have developed habits that involve inappropriate or incorrect placement. Um, kids are very resourceful, and they learn to place their tongue in a certain place so that the air does not come through the nose as much as. It would if they didn't, and so it affects the way they're producing a sound. So a lot of times uh, when they're talking in connected sentences, you have no idea what they're saying. All that it needs is a really good speech therapist and patient parents and lots of practice, and you just do the same thing you do with a small child. You start at the beginning with the sound in isolation, and you move up to a word, to a phrase, and then to a sentence and the older kids as long as as they're um focused uh and uh really want to improve and most of the adopted kids are like that um you you get a lot of uh good results quickly but again they have to be patient It's it's not something that happens overnight uh the habit didn't happen overnight and so the the correction won't happen overnight but um uh I can honestly say I've had a number of children like that, and by the time, I would say within a year's time, the amount of improvement is remarkable.
3: Andrea, any, uh, can we expect complete resolution of the dental issues with a child who has, is significantly older? In, in an adoption world, a child would be considered significantly older, let's say over the age of six or eight or whatever, uh, with an unrepaired palate.
1: Um, Dentally, I I think it would be, um, it wouldn't make a difference, Um, you know, orthodontically moving the teeth around, you know, we're just getting them a little bit later so we don't uh, monitor the baby teeth, which really all we do is just kind of check off on them every once in a while, Um, but dentally, I really don't think um, there's, too much of a difference, you know you hope uh for all that time they've been getting good dental care, and so um but nothing specific to the cleft um, and I think these are the kind of kids that um you know if put in the right environment can really flourish and it's it, it's exciting to see um for us uh, you know from the time they they come and you know how fast they progress and 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 how how much they change and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing
3: and Abby. Uh, from a feeding issue, would we assume that kids who have survived uh, at t- to reach the age of six, seven, eight, whatever, um, have figured out how to get food? At least uh, uh, some of their food is going down into their tummies. But uh, is that uh, would that be the uh, accurate assumption, or do we also have Absolutely. some bad habits?
0: They are food-wise. so adaptable, and um, you may see a very, very small number of children who might need some extra speech therapy to. Um, help with sensory issues, or occupational therapy as well, just to help with any sensory issues when um, changing from a softer diet into more solids. But um, a lot of these kids have just learned to adapt and have no trouble handling solids. You know, they just move it in different places in their mouth. As as Maureen said, it's placement. You know, they just kind of alter their placement of things to um, make up for an open palate. But they do. Which makes sense. They do.
3: They've got to figure out a way around it, and and, uh, they're uh, adaptive. Well, we've reached the end of our time. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, Dr. Sampson, Abby Ellis, and Maureen Rostowski, for being our guests today on Creating a Family. Uh, We'll be talking about the subject of this show in tomorrow's blog. If you would like to participate, please join us at creatingafamily.org. To get more information about the Lancaster Clef, 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 Clef Clinic Palette, easy for me to say, right? uh, Please go to their website. It is cleftclinic.org, C-L-E-F-T-C-L-I-N-I-C.org. Let me take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show, as well as all of our resources. We have Children's Connection, Inc. They have offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. And we also have All Blessings International. They are an adoption agency with offices in Missouri and Kentucky working with families throughout the U.S., placing children from Congo, Haiti, Hong Kong, Latvia, Taiwan, and El Salvador. They also have a domestic infant program. Thank you all for joining us today. I look forward to seeing you next week.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
4: That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff.
2: Progressive can't save you from becoming your
4: parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again.